You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. God called Abraham out of the chaos of the ancient world to make through him a chosen people to bless all nations. Then God delivered his people from Egypt, but they refused to enter into the land set aside for them and wandered in the desert. God gave them the law to consecrate them as his people, and eventually they entered the promised land. But they forgot his law and worshiped other gods. God called judges and prophets to warn and encourage them. He established David as king and there was peace and prosperity, but they forgot him again and the kingdom fell. So God sent Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He sent Ezra to remind them of his law and the temple was rebuilt. Yet again, they turned from God and embraced the world around them. But God, longing for their whole hearts, called forth his prophet Malachi to remind them of his faithful love and of the kingdom that was coming. Buongiorno, church family. Hey, it's so good to see here. To- to see you and to be here today, I am Holly Taylor, one of your goers in Italy. And if you would like to come say hi or hear more about that, you can. I will be in the foyer afterward. But also, la prossima domenica, can you say that? La prossima domenica, I will have a meeting over in Suite 165 at 2 p.m. and I'd love to see you. And today, I get to read from Malachi. Chapter 2, verse 17, 3 through 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant In whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to grab them. Uh, And then if you can hit Malachi, hit it. If not, front of your Bible will have a table of contents and you can get to it that way. Uh, Let me me say this just as uh, we dive in this morning. Um, I I know it's madness right now and we're packed. We're trying to get that Saturday night uh, as quick as we can. And so if you're here in this area and you're still like saving a seat for your friend, uh, I think your friend has done you dirty. Uh, I think they are 30 minutes late now. 
Uh, and we've got people still waiting to come in, even though our overflow is full. Uh, and, and so I, I need you to text your friend now and, and let them know you'll see them at lunch uh, so that we can have that seed. I, I understand saving uh, for a few minutes, but 30 that's not crazy on our end. So uh, sorry, I, I know we're slammed. I, we're, we're doing everything we can uh, to get that Saturday night up, uh, and, and that should create about 1,000 seats, and so excited about that. Um, even if you lived the, the most charmed life imaginable, uh, and, and you just, like, the external kind of thing that people saw was a brother or sister who just always won. Uh, they, they just like, there, there's some sort of golden touch on their life and, and, and no matter what they give themselves to, it seems to be successful. Uh, even if that's kind of been your story, everyone, it is a human experience, uh, to, um, really walk through or endure a certain level of disappointment, uh, a certain level of loss and sorrow, a certain, like, like this is, you can go to any place on earth and this is true. Uh, we, we all experience aspects of the broken world in a way that, that hurts or disorients or discombobulates us. And when that happens, there, there's a couple of ways that we tend uh, to play that. There's a couple reasons why that happens. The first is that uh, we understand, Christians uh, understand, that uh, the, the world is broken. Uh, like we, Christians should never be surprised by the brokenness and sorrow in the world because the Bible lets us know, yes, there is, and here's why. Uh, and so we have a, like a, 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 just a total theological uh, kind of grid for God created it and it was good and sin entered the cosmos and fractured the shalom of God. Like that's our understanding. And so sometimes those disappointments, those losses, those hurts, they happen just because the world's broken. Right? It just, and, and you know people and you've experienced things. It's not your fault. It's not somebody else's fault. It's just the world's busted and we can feel it in our guts that it is. But that's not the only reason some of those disappointments and sorrows and losses occur. Sometimes they happen because of other people. Uh, like other people in a broken world are broken themselves and broken people break stuff. Uh, and so you can be betrayed, you can be manipulated, you can be abused, you can be, and so sometimes those losses, those disappointments, those hurts, those um, sufferings, they're actually tied to some other person who has sinned against you. And the third category that we rarely give any space for is that sometimes, not always, sometimes our disappointments, losses, loneliness, and sufferings occur because we're morons. And we have rebelled against God's clear design, and we have made a mess for ourselves. And, and my experience, two, two ways, my experience as a human, as in I do this, and my experience as a pastor, as in I see this all the time, is we got 20-20 vision for someone who does us dirty, and we're cross-eyed and can't see squat when it comes to ourselves. So we are well aware of my life stinks because of this person. And, and in a trauma age where it's always mama and daddy's fault, it always goes back uh, to family of origin. I'm not trying to disparage that. There's some family origin stuff that'll light you up. But when you don't have to own any aspect of your own brokenness, like we, which is, by the way, the predominant worldview right now, and the church has to be really careful of threading the needle for legitimate trauma and then just, uh, it's, it's always everybody else's fault. And, and so... I don't know how you've been taking Malachi. This book has put a beating on me the last six months. You've just had to handle a few weeks of me preaching. I've had to steep in this thing for six months. 
I mean, I've been getting pounded on by the Holy Spirit for a long I'm ready for this one to be over. I'm not usually, I'm like, just get that one more week out and just let me get to something else because this has just been a mirror I have not liked looking into. And what we see happening today in the text is that the people of God are making an accusation against God that he's not just and he's not good. So what's happened is Judah, that's who we're, like us, the people of God, because hear me, judgment always begins in the household of God. I don't know if you knew that. Like judgment always begins in the household of God. It never begins outside, which golly evangelicals could dial into that. Right? And so what's happening in this passage is Judah, the people of God, they, they are looking around and it's a disaster. If you weren't here week one, go back and listen to that. It's a disaster sociologically a disaster, economically, uh, like the government's corrupt, the priests are corrupt, they're being taxed out the wazoo, it's mass poverty, people are having to sell themselves into slavery just to stay alive, it is crazy. And they, despite the fact that all of that is happening because of their rebellion, are saying to God that he has not been faithful and that he is unjust. And God begins this passage like this. You annoy me. Literally, this is a, in the Hebrew, this is a divine eye roll. So one of the reasons we watch that bumper video that we just watched, if you're like, ah, what does that have to do with Because that's the whole story of God's faithfulness to this group of people right up until this point of time. It's just over and over. God, God moves towards them in love. God moves towards them in love. Rebel. 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 It's the whole story about, look at me, it's our story. It's not, don't do that thing where we read about them and those, those idiots. no. Us idiots, right? Us idiots. I can see myself all over this passage. So they completely ignored their own sins and they're aggravated by the sins of others. Anybody? Not worried about me, but dadgummit you. I mean, I I I have a PhD in other people's junk and and like a GED in mine. I mean, mean, it's all right. It's like no real understanding of just how, how much my stupidity affects others and blasphemes against a living God, but I know exactly how yours does. This is what's happening here in Judah. They they just completely could not see how their behavior and their relationship with God has led to this disaster. So they're just cross-eyedly blaming everybody else. And now that's not getting any better. They turn to God. You delight in evil. You have not kept the covenant. This is like a man who repeatedly cheats on his wife and then blames her for it. It's insane. And the Hebrew word, it really is it's like a divine eye roll. The Hebrew word, there's like, you annoy me with that nonsense. Remember how the book begins? I have loved you, declares the Lord. It starts with indicative. God always, he doesn't say, obey the law and I'll love you. Get yourself right and I'll love you. He said, no, 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 I love you, declares the Lord of hosts. But you say, how have you loved us? Do you, do you hear the refrain in these guys? Like, you, you, you love, you delight in the wicked. And you, what's their argument? Their argument is like, you have not blessed, you have not given us what we deserve while he's actively giving them what they deserve. And pleading with them to go the way of righteousness, right? And um, th- this is when, when the people of God are in their right mind, when the people of God are in their right mind, they praise and worship held together by these two tracks 
that, that they can see that what God is up to and they delight in those things and they move towards his moral law and they delight in his goodness and grace where they fall short of it. Let me read you just one passage for the sake of time. I've done this at the nine. I know how long it takes. So Deuteronomy 4, verse 7. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? That's track one. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I'm setting before you today? So here are the two tracks that keep the people of God in that place where, if you were here last week, covenant-keeping, flourishing of humanity. The first one is this. Who, who is like our God so near to his people? If you've been a, a, a here for a while, you hear me say this all the time. The whole Bible could be condensed into this sentence. God with us. God perpetually moves towards us in love. He does so in the tabernacle. He does so in the temple. He does so in the coming of Jesus. He does so in the sending of the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts. Like Jerusalem's awesome. You don't have to go there to know Jesus. That he is sealed in our soul in such a way that the presence of God is here. And in this period of time, they, they had the, I mean, they saw clouds of smoke. They saw pillars of fire, like the glory of God rested on the manifest presence of God was among his people. And they would look out at people worshiping other gods and sacrificing their kids to those gods and cutting themselves and doing all that they could to try to provoke their gods. And their gods never showed up. And they're like, our God keeps showing. In fact, he's not going anywhere. I just got to open my tent. And there's his presence resting on the tabernacle. All we have to do is look in our heart and be honest. And his presence is there. But it's not the only place they marveled at. Track two was the giving of the law. Who else has been given such delightful laws from the king of Lord? But we don't talk about the law anymore. We're averse to authority. But David talked about the law like this, like, like honey on my lips. Like David's like laying in bed at night thinking about the law. Why? Because the moral law of God is good and right and leads to human gladness and leads to human flourishing. Women and children are protected. Men are held to account, called into their destiny, all by the moral law of God. And so when they obeyed the moral law of God and delighted in doing it, Israel flourished and the nations were like, don't jack with them. Go read every invasion of Israel in the Old Testament. It happens when they're outside of those boundaries. They no longer honor his presence. They presume upon him. And they no longer fear the moral law of God. They do their own thing. They go their own way. They decide to be their own kings, their own queens. I hear the law. I'm going to do what I want. But the history of God and his people is God moving towards them in delight, God moving towards them in grace, God moving towards them in forgiveness, setting them up for flourishing, reigning and ruling in a way that takes the pressure off of them to be sovereign. So I, I love you, I'm never trying to pick a fight here, uh, but, but you really do make a crummy God. I mean, I'm sure you're a good dude, I'd like to hang out with you sometime, I'm sure you're a great gal, I mean, you just got great life experience and you make a trash God. Because there's just no way for you to know all that you need to know. There's no way for you to be as strong as you need. There's no, like, how? How could you? I mean, how could you possibly? Even you, if you're thinking rightly, would be like, yeah, I'd make a pretty crummy God. And yet that compulsion is overwhelming. To be king of all, to be God of my own life, to decide for me what's mine, to, to trust the emotions and feelings of my gut and say, this is who I am. Like, that compulsion is so freaking powerful and it destroys everything it touches. 
And all we've got is thousands of years of history that that's true. I mean, whole nations rise and fall on that principle, right? And, and so what happens here is that they have forgotten these two things, and now they're all about accusing the Lord, even though Nehemiah has already proclaimed over them that you know this is your fault. So again, if you, let, me, let me just Bible nerd for you. Um, Nehemiah is the narrative end of the Old Testament. So the story of the Old Testament, before we get John the Baptist and Jesus, ends in Nehemiah. So if you're like, who is Malachi talking to? Go read Nehemiah, right? And then Malachi is the prophetic end of the Old Testament. God will not say another word for 500 years after this until John the Baptist shows up on the scene. You with me? So Nehemiah, narrative, what's the story? What are these people doing? What's going on? And then prophetic, thus saith the Lord in Malachi, right? And so Nehemiah, if we had time to do that, we don't. Um, here's what he says um, over the people of Israel. And they agree with what he says. This is how quickly we move from understanding reality to not understanding reality. In all that has happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Because of our sins, it's abundant harvest. The abundant harvest of Israel, of our nation, the abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Do you hear it? We are in bondage. Why are we in bondage? Because God hasn't kept the covenant? No, because we have broken fellowship. We are in bondage, not at the hand of God, but at our own rebellion. And they knew it and they agreed with Nehemiah and it doesn't take long for you to go, you know what, actually, I think God's to blame for this. And they accuse like, you're not just. You delight any of your blessing evil people. You're not blessing us. You owe us, God's their posture. And so God starts with a, oh, heavenly eye roll. Oh, please. I, I pulled you, I, I made you a people through Abraham. I pulled you out of slavery through Moses. I established you in Canaan through Joshua. I gave you the law so that you would flourish. I gave you the sacrificial system so that my presence could be manifest among you in a way that you would always know I was there. I delivered you from evil. I have conquered foreign armies. I have established you to be seen among the nations of the world as my manifest wisdom put to bear. You have rebelled. You have turned your back. And so here's his response to the accusation that he's the one that's broken covenant. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, which is a play on words. They're not delighting in the Lord. This is, a, this is ironic based on him, them accusing God above of delighting in evil ones. This, so this is a little kind of wink, wink, whatever to the people of God. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So this is, um, again, this is just, we're going to just get into this together. The accusation is, you're not good, you're not just, you give good things to the evil people, and you've forsaken us, your people. So God's response is to say, okay, how about this? I'm going to send a forerunner. We know that man is John the Baptist. We're going to meet him in about 500 years. And then I'm going to send the capital L Lord to you. I'm sending Jesus. This is our messianic prophecy. You want to see justice? You want righteousness to be had? You want to understand the glory of my name? You, you want this? 
Let me give it to you. Here comes the Lord. And then here's the question that sets up the sermon. And if you're like, no, you're in the sermon. Yes, I am. All right. Here's the question. So it's not like, and then everything's going to be cool. He says, I'm going to send them and who can stand? Which is a question that's repeatedly asked of people who belittle God. And in light of the glory of God, who can stand? It's all over Isaiah. It's all over the minor prophets. We find it in the book of Revelation. In light of these things, who can stand? It's a question that doesn't require a response. God's response to you're not good, you're, you lack justice, is judgment. I'm going to send King Jesus, and he'll judge which I, I know you're not even allowed to talk about in 2023. Who are you to judge me? Well, I'm, I, I can let the text judge you. I'm, I'm not anybody to judge. I don't know your backstory. I don't know your, I just, the text judges. I don't judge. Jesus judges. I don't judge. Right? And, and the text wants to talk a little bit today, so I'm just going to let the text talk. So there are two judgments in view based on this accusation and God's response to it. The first judgment is to believers. Isn't that crazy? Like, like believers never feel like they get judged. They, they feel like everybody outside gets judged. We got grace. We, we're cool. Like me and the Lord, we're cool. Like he loves me. I love him. He, like it's the outside world. Better watch out. That's not, <laughs> let, you know, let's just go. <laughs> Look at 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, declares the Lord. We'll keep going, two through four. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? What's he like? He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So here's the imagery he wants us to get that we tend to miss out in 2023, right? He wants us to look into an artisan's craft room and there sitting before a roaring hot fire, metal, that's polluted with all sorts of impurities is put to the torch until all the maturities are burned out and hammered out so that the vessel that's right and good might be formed and shaped. This is a violent process that when laid upon our lives should be looked upon with holy fear. That's what I has to say it. Like, no one should look at the refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. Do you remember my little Gen Xers worship songs? Like, this is a violent process that if we are able to avoid this through obedience, that's the route we should take. All right, so let me, let me read this to you. This is Hebrews 12, 5 through 8. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. I'm just going to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Yeah. All right. Let's keep going. I, I figured something like that would happen. This is not, this is too dangerous for him. Now, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying in correlation to our passage in Malachi? That God will discipline those who are children, and if you're not disciplined by the Lord, then you're not a child. Because God's love is made manifest in his children through his discipline. He's talking to those of us who are Christians who have said no to moral obedience or said not yet to moral obedience or I'm smarter than you, God, around moral obedience and have decided to do our own thing, decided to live our own way. And the Bible says the Lord ain't having that in his children. And what I've seen in myself and what I've seen in others is oftentimes when that discipline lands, if we're not careful, we'll make the same accusation that our brothers and sisters of Malachi made. You're not good. You should be blessing me. These people out here, these people who are sinning like this, these people who embrace this ideology, this church that does it this way instead of our way, this place that they, like, they should be, I should be getting, right? And we accuse the Lord of being unjust. But here he says, like a mom and dad, like a father that loves his children so that he engages behavior that would be harmful for him and harmful for others. So is the discipline of the Lord towards his children. Now, not all discipline's the same. Like, listen, I grew up in a day, I wish, I wish I got to just get in the corner and think about stuff when I was a kid. (laughs) That would have been awesome. Now, probably be a different, and I'm not advocating any specific style of parenting here. I'm not saying that everything that happened when we were kids were correct. I just don't think random people should be able to beat you. But that was the day I grew up, right? And and so not all discipline is a a whipping. Some discipline is an explanation. Some discipline is you don't get this because of that. But all discipline is meant to shape and form into the potential seen by the parent and the end goal or hope of the parent. And the Bible is going to say if if you're a non-discipliner, you don't discipline at all, then this, please don't email me angry, then you actually don't love your child. You love you. You love you. You don't love them. Because nobody wants to, like, I don't want to discipline my kids. I just want to bless them. I love them. I want them to like me. Reed, I want you to like me. I do. I, I, like, I want them to like I want my daughters to like me. I know Nora's in here. So, I, like, I don't want them to just love me. I'm like, yeah, it's cool, which I'm not, but I, I want to be. And, uh, like, I, I want that. And if, I'm not, if I don't love them, then I'll sacrifice what's been given to me and me alone as dad. And I'll destroy him. And I'll reveal that what I really love is me, not him. So, there's discipline. This is the argument from the writer of Hebrews. Even though you're a son or daughter and he delights in you, and maybe even because he delights in you, because he loves you, you dig in your heels, you can expect discipline. Now, that, that's, I want to take it a step farther. Um, and the step farther I want to take it is because I think this has gone almost completely absent in the evangelical mind. And it's super important that you understand you will not only be judged and disciplined by Jesus in this life, but also the next. And again, I, I think by and large, evangelical Christians think judgment day is for lost people. 
It's for those perverts and weaklings and, you know, all the things that we were before Christ saved us, but whatever. You know, they, you know it's for them. All we, you know, we get well done, good and faithful servant. And I think hopefully we, we will, but there's also these things. This is 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, the foundation being the gospel, builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, visible, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. I am going to stand in front of Jesus and give an account for my life, and nothing will be hidden. No motive. Nothing in the secret, no driver of my life, all will be, so like I preach and teach and write and, and, and I love him and all of that will lay exposed about what my primary motive was. Is my primary motive that I love him and want to serve him or is the primary motive that when I do this, some people like me and some people hate me? Do, do I do this for this reason or do I, all that gets exposed and then this says what survives will be rewarded and what is burned off There will be loss, eternal loss for me as a believer, for you as a believer. And since this is true, 1 Peter says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now listen. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear, terror throughout your time in exile. If you pull anything from Malachi, here's what I want you to pull from this, our time together in this. A love for Jesus Christ will continually move you towards uh, presence and intimacy with Jesus. You will move towards his grace. You will not run from him when you fail. You will run towards him for his grace and mercy but a fear of the Lord will keep you from being stupid. You can love Jesus and sin majorly against him. You ever thought about King David? Man after God's own heart? You want to argue with me? Send me an email that he doesn't deeply love Jesus. Go read the Psalms. This is a man just captivated by the beauty of Jesus who just so happens to find himself up on his roof when he should have been handling business out on the war front, staring at a naked woman that wasn't his wife, pulled her up into his room, slept with her, and then had her husband killed. How? How are you King David? How have you killed Goliath? How have you seen miracle after miracle? How can you delight in God? Like you clearly delight in God with these songs that you sing, with the meditations of your heart, and then pull that off. Well, you love him, but you don't fear him. You presume upon the Lord, and you make new rules for yourself. Happens all the time in the Bible. What about our boy Peter, who I think is eventually going to punch me in the face in heaven? Right, like, Peter, he shows up at Cornelius' house. He is the mouthpiece that ushers the Gentiles into the community. And not 15 years later, he refuses to eat with them, goes back to his bigotry and racism, and just eats with the Jews. He had to be confronted publicly by Paul. How does that happen? It happens when you stop fearing the Lord, and you begin to presume upon his name, and you think you're special, and the rules don't apply to you. Or how about Ananias and Sapphira? Ever heard a whole sermon on that? Uh, Okay, so I know we're not all church folk. Um... The Holy Spirit falls, Acts 2, Church of Jesus Christ just explodes. Like a thousand people say, like dead people coming to life, people lame, being, you know, just crazy, chaos, stuff I want to see. 
I mean, just Holy Ghost broke out. And then um, Barnabas sells this track of land and he brings it and he presents it before the apostles for the work of the kingdom. And, and the Bible was like, the, the first church was like, oh my, that was incredible. Barnabas is amazing. And then Ananias and Sapphira, let me do this. I always want to do this. This is my Bible over here. This is my imagination over here. <laughs> so Ananias calls Sapphira. He's like, hey, do you hear about Barnabas? I know. I mean, like we, see all the praise that Barnabas is getting for this? You know what we should do, baby? We should sell that 200 acres outside of Jerusalem by the pools of Solomon. Let's sell it. But here's the thing. I know that's a big investment property for us, so let's do this. Let's give some of it publicly, and then let's keep the rest privately. Maybe go on that, go on that cruise in Egypt like we've been talking. And then nobody will know, and then we'll, we'll be up there with Barnabas. And the, Again, I'm over here. Here's my imagination. Text is over here. But this story actually happens. They sell land, and they bring it publicly to the apostles inside of everyone. Like, here's our gift to the Lord. We sold 200 acres outside of Jerusalem by the pools of Solomon, and we want to give it all to kingdom work. And God killed them in front of everybody so that the fear of the Lord permeated the early church. Kept them from what? Being stupid. Kept them from sin. Did Ananias and Sapphira love Jesus? Ah, it's a lot of evidence. They've seen some crazy stuff, and they were upright members of the early community. And like for us right now, we're just like, that's so harsh. I can't believe God did that. Would you rather him let perversity and wickedness enter into the community that he's forming for the glory of his name and human flourishing? What happens if lies and rebellion become the foundation upon which his church is laid? This, is, this punishment fits the crime. Now, do I think they'll be in heaven? Yeah, but according to our text, they'll be smelling a little smoky. <laughs> right? Isn't that what the text said? They will be saved, but through fire. Right? This is, guys, this is in the Bible. Like, you and me, we're, gosh, it's, it's like we're an hour closer to this than when we walked in. And I'm telling I love you. Some of you are screwing around with sin. Like, this ain't coming for you. Some of you tolerate nonsense in your life. You tolerate your own nonsense. Like, this day isn't coming for you. It's just coming for lost people. The first judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Always. But it does roll out from there. So if the first judgment is to believers, and, and so here, you, you know this believer, grace available to you, repentance, confession, and a moving back. And then some of you, uh, we're going we're gonna to be a little late today, but you're going to be fine. It's, it's 140 outside. Where are you going? Um, <laughs> here's what I want to try to, and I feel like this has been my whole 20 years here. Some of us, we, we just got this foot in the kingdom. I love Jesus. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to be good. Uh, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to start this. But just in case, I'm going to put my foot over here too. So I'm going to, my money's my money. My, my kind of shady secret side is my shady secret side. And you just straddle both worlds. So you're not in anywhere. You're halfway in everywhere. And the Lord demands, not requests, demands wholehearted worship. Remember, we've already covered this in Malachi. Like some of you just bring in like a, you know, a, a goat with an eye patch, you know, a sheep with an eye patch with mange trying to offer it to the Lord as your best. It's not even, gosh, it's like your 10th best. It's not your best, but the Lord demands your best. Cortez, terrible human being, landed in Mexico, was seeking fame and gold, murdered thousands of people, just a despicable human, unless God did a profound work in his life, he, he is in a really terrible place for eternity. And, and unless God did a work, rightly so. 
But upon arrival in Mexico, his six, five, six hundred men were so anxious about what they were about to do that he was afraid that they would rebel against him, hop on the ships, and sail back to Spain. So he burned the ships, scuttled them, let them sink to the bottom so that there was no retreat, there was no option. It was forward or death. This is the call of God on the life of the believer. That the ships had been burned, all my chips are in, I'm not, I'm not like, this is plan A, but this is plan, you know, A1 back here to be a part of the world. No, 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 I'm, I'm all in with my life, with my money, with my time, with my energy, with my health. I'm all in. I am dead to self and alive to Jesus Christ. And for some of us, that's the call on our lives this morning. We've drifted like we tend to drift we're delaying obedience. We're saying no to God because we've justified our behavior. Why this one doesn't matter for us. It matters for us, but not for me. And, and the, the enemy's so good at twisting us like this. But this is the first judgment. The second judgment is for unbelievers. So if you're not a Christian, the second judgment is for you. And I just pray you'd be encouraged that God handles us first. Right? You're like, this is so unfair. You just got to know. He's handing out whippings for us long before he gets to you. But this is 3-5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker for his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might be tempted to go, whew, didn't see myself on that list at all. Not really into sorcery right now, never committed adultery. I don't know that I've ever done anything to the hired worker or the sojourner or the fatherless or the widow. Um, but what's happening in this passage um, can be tied back to, I think, um, Romans 1. Or Romans 1 would be tying back to this passage where the Bible's pretty clear on what's wrong with the human condition. And, and here's the way that the Bible unpacks that. The first thing that the Bible says is wrong with the human condition is we worship and serve creation rather than the creator. And I would liken that to sorcery. I, I don't want God, I want his stuff. I don't want God, I don't want the worship that's meant to come from his stuff. I just want his stuff, right? Th this is blessed. So God gives a gift so that we might know his beauty, gives the gift so that we might know uh, his flourishing for you, but gives the gift. And if you want to kind of just delight in the God of the Bible, the goodness of God is that this is called common grace and it's given to all humans, even if they hate him. Like people who want nothing to do with God get flavors in food. They get sex. They, they get comfort. They get to gaze upon the beauty of creation. All of this is given to people who might hate God. It's called common grace. And it's why nobody's afraid of the afterlife because they think the afterlife, just a version of this life. So I'd just rather be in hell, my friend, party, and accept. All that's wrapped up in common grace and then they're going to be there. And so they want creation. They don't want the creator, but everything in creation is meant to point to him and help us understand his goodness and grace. And then the second thing Romans 1 says is wrong with us is that we believe the lie over the truth of God. We think we're smarter than him, and that's adultery. Remember, even last week's message around covenant keeping, that the marriage is a picture of Christ and his church, and adultery is, I know better than him. I'm smarter than him. And, and so you, you might not have committed adultery in the physical way, but almost all of us are idolaters. We have in the spiritual. 
And then the last one is in uh, Romans 1, 28, where it says that we have failed to acknowledge him. And in that moment of failing to acknowledge, he turns us over to do what ought not be proper, including taking advantage of the fatherless and the widow and the day worker and the sojourner. And so what's happening in this passage is both in Malachi and in the scripture, there is a blanket of guilt laid across all humans everywhere, always. No one in this room hasn't done this. No one. I don't, and here, I don't care if you were born at church. Seriously, like just mom couldn't make a pile right there on the altar. I mean, it's happened, right? Spot on the bottom. Jesus, baptism, day one. I mean, that's your story. You're guilty of this. If you went wild, you don't need to know if you're guilty. Like, you know. But like some of us, we just, we grew up real clean. And that's not wrong. I want my kids to have that story. But some of you grew up so clean, you don't know that you're actually still dirty. Need somebody from outside of you to clean you, lest you smear it. And so for the unbeliever, hey, I, I love that you're, if I've offended you in any way, I promise you, I, I, I never want to offend you. I want you to feel welcomed here. I, if you had any idea how much I pray for you and long for you and want for you, how much this, if you knew how many people in this church were one just not long ago sitting where you were sitting, and now you heard them scream singing praise, right? The invitation that befalls you and me today goes all the way back to Malachi 1, 1. I have loved you, declares the Lord. And that the just judge of the universe, Christian or non-Christian, has now moved towards you in the heralding of this word for the good of your own soul and his glory. Christian, you know the righteous requirements of the law. You know that you won't be able to, in your own efforts, be able to keep them. This requires consistent confession and repentance, and submission to the book. Unbeliever, the invitation for you today is that even though you have loved creation more than the creator, you have lived like you're a smarter God than God, and and you uh, refuse to acknowledge him for the good in your life, he has made a way to save you from the wrath of that rebellion. He has made a path for you in Christ. So the good news of the gospel isn't you get your best life now and then you got a little ringing bell to ring up Jesus to get what you want in regards to comfort and wealth. It's to be rescued from sin and death forever. It's what you hear me say all the time when we talk about the, the cross, that all of your sins, past, present, and future, are fully, freely, and forever forgiven, that you have not outsinned the grace of God. And I know you might be in here, and, and you might think that you're the, I mean, I've talked to guys in this community, I've invited them to church, and they're like, oh, God, I walk in, Lord would strike me with lightning. The, the only people that have ever been saved are people worthy of being striked with lightning. And, and I want you to feel the weight of this judgment is coming. We might not like that in our modern sensibilities. We might think that's cruel. But as we've covered in this book around God's holiness, our opinions of how God sovereignly reigns the universe don't affect how God sovereignly reigns the universe. Like you and I are going to stand in front and give an account and our lawyer sucks. I'm going to point to what Isaiah calls filthy rags as some just... See this back here one time where I could have lied and I didn't? You know, like... Terrible that's going to sound in light of God's holiness? Like, remember the question, who can stand? Certainly not our good works that Isaiah calls minstrel rags. So what's the option? Repentance. Faith. 
confession, life. This is the poetry used by the scripture, transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. Death to life, wickedness to righteousness. The just judgment of God for the unbeliever equals a Christless eternity. Hell. And I know that's just like, oh gosh, you can't, you certainly, bro, it's 2023, give me a break. Hell is both your choice and then God's edict over your rebellion. It's your choice in that what you want is a life without him. So he'll give you what you want. C.S. Lewis says God sends no man to hell. They choose hell. And again, I, I've, I've been around here long enough to know that some of you hardened in your sin and be like, man, that, that doesn't sound like I can worship that God. I'd just rather begin, you know, hide with my friends. Okay, but friendship is a gift of common grace created by God and giving to his people for the building them up in godliness. There ain't gonna be no hell. There's no friendships there. So it's sight, so it's food, so it's like everything good and perfect comes down from the Father of lights. See, you, you presume upon the Lord by looking at the common graces he's given you to show you about his beauty and grace, but you, don't, you, you rebel against that, and, and then you're choosing, and then secondly, it is God's just pronouncement over your life. And again, this is wildly unpopular, but let me, maybe this will help. Let, let's say um, I, I walk up to you afterwards, I ask you a, a question, you just lie to me. You just like, you know, whatever. You just tell me a lie. What, I'm, I'll be fine. You lie to me. You know what happens after that? Nothing. But let's say on your way out today, Officer Harney pulls you to the side. He's like, hey, I hate to do this at church. Got some questions. This is official. This isn't, you know, here's, I'm not asking you as a buddy. I'm not, I'm not, I've got it legal. And you, he asks you a question, you lie to him. Well, well now, you, you lie to an officer of the law in official business. The, the, the offense is greater. Now, let's say, you, you know, you, you lie to him, and so, he, you know, you get yourself arrested, and now you're in front of the judge, and, and you double down on it. You, you do the, you, do the, you know, I swear to tell the whole truth, none of the truth, help me, God. And, and then you lie to the judge. Oh, gosh, now you lied to Now you've done, you've done, you've done it now. You lie, and we just take this all the way up to the highest courts in our government. Like, who you lie to determines the seriousness of the lie. Now, now think about, because this is one of those things, like, so I tell one little white lie, God's going to, no, no, it's, there's no such thing as one little white lie. There's rebellion against a creator and the offer of grace to cover every mistake you ever make if you'll turn and, and surrender to his kingly rule. And gosh, I don't, don't think, I don't agonize over that for us and our community. Especially when the good news is here, it's like, you don't have to. That I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. That I've come that you might be transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. I've come to walk with you through the weary, long journey home. And I promise to get you there, swearing by my own name, to hold you fast in love until we get there. Like, that's the offer. Oh my gosh, that's the offer. Aren't you tired enough yet to know how crummy of a God you are? Aren't you weary enough under your own reign and rule? Wouldn't it be awesome just to breathe out and go, thank God there's, there's someone who knows and has the power to pull it off that can lead me into righteousness, that can grant me a life that flourishes and that can order me like I was designed to be ordered and to reject the modern notion that all authority only seeks to crush. Gosh, how would God be glorified in miserable commands that steal life from us?
Could it be that all the commands of God in the scriptures are about our joy ultimately? Not trying to take anything from us, but actually trying to give to us what we most desire. All right. I love you. More importantly, the creator God of the universe does. And to believer and unbeliever today, I herald the goodness of Jesus, the glory of God, the offer of repentance, and the promise of life evermore. Not when you die now, starting now. The cost, repentance, surrender, belief. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to pray over us. And then when I say amen, you'll look up. There are going to be some men and women. They're, they're standing up here. There are prayer team members. There are going to be some men and women in the back, prayer team members. And man, if you're here today and you, you're just like, oh man, I, I, don't, I think I've had a foot in both worlds. I, don't, I want to just push all my, I just want to say yes to Jesus. I want to push all my chips in. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of trying to be king. I want to just invite you. Repentance, life is yours. If you're not a Christian, come, come, let us pray with you. Say yes. Man, we'll baptize you today, man. We got shorts and a t-shirt and we'll just rejoice in new life. That's what baptism, a picture of new life. Putting you under the water, symbolizing I'm not going to be king or queen anymore. Pull you up. Jesus is now king and queen or king of my life. And then we live into that by faith in the community of saints. You're welcome. You haven't outsend him. You're not too broken. You, your struggle's not too raw or nasty. Gosh, part of the way I preach the way I do, which is like right up on that line, is I want you to feel here. You're okay. Come on, man. We're all in this. You're okay. Won't you say yes to him? He's here. Father, I bless these men and women in the name of Jesus. I pray even now as our prayer team begins to move up front and situate themselves to receive people and uh, even as people in their seats start to kind of wrestle with, what does this mean? What does this word mean for me that, that you would um, stir them towards repentance, stir them towards belief? I pray that we'd get to celebrate baptisms this morning as people for the first time ever go, okay, I'm, I'm weary enough. I'm saying yes to you, King Jesus. I pray where we're bound up because of our own decision-making, our own choosing. Let us see it. Gosh, we just get so cross-eyed when it comes to us. Help us see. We need you. Bring salvation where there isn't any. Bring life where there's death. Bring uh, repentance where there's presumption. Continue to move us towards external moral holiness as we learn to fear your name and love you. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.